Welcome to Christ Chapel College, the college outreach of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We hope everyone experiences what Jesus calls abundant life. So we unapologetically point to Him as the source of life and joy. If you're a college student in the Fort Worth area, we'd be stoked to connect with you. Find out more at ChristChapelCollege.org and on Instagram at ChristChapelCollege. How are you guys doing this morning? Good. Love that you're here, man. Our God is faithful. We believe that. Um, we sing it, but man, so often when we, when I stand in the back and sing that song, um, I am, I am preaching to myself, Lord, would my heart believe that you truly are faithful? Um, so uh, we are going to jump into, well, first, let me introduce myself. My name is Ben. Uh, I am one of the pastors on staff here uh, in the college ministry, and we are connected to a bigger uh, church too, Christ Chapel, uh, which is like eight minutes up the road. And, uh, and there's a lot of people at that church who love college students and want to be a blessing to college students. And so I guess like three years or so ago, uh, they built this coffee shop and said, man, let's worship Jesus and let's proclaim his faithfulness and let's preach his word. Um, and so, man, you got a whole church full of people up the road that are also praying for you guys. Um, they love y'all. Uh, we are going to be in 1 Samuel uh, this morning. Uh, it's in the Old Testament. It's like the ninth book in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, um, we would love to give you one of ours. We got Bibles all around here. And so if you made it to college without one um, or you left it back home or whatever, or you lost it or somebody stole it from you, um, that's scary. But if that happened, then man, just take one of ours. We've got them all around the room and just take one when you leave. Um, uh, we, we really would love to, for you to have a Bible. Um, we are connected to a Bible church. And so because of that, something you need to know about us is we are going to be in the Bible every single Sunday. So, you know, if this is your first time and you're kind of kicking the tires on this service and trying to figure out, okay, you know, you're going to church shop for a little bit. Praise God. There's a lot of really cool churches and ministries around. Um, just so you know, what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through books of the Bible. So last year we walked through the book of James and Galatians. The year before that was Hebrews. The year before that was Romans. This semester we're going to be in 1 Samuel. And so we're just going to walk all the way through 1 Samuel, and then in the spring, we'll be in 2 Samuel. Uh, we're going to see and study the life of David. Uh, we're going to see his predecessor, Saul. We're going to see his kids. We're going to see the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, uh, about a thousand years before Jesus uh, was born. And we're going to see, most importantly, as we study God's word this semester, we're going to see the character of God. And we're going to see the wisdom of God in his word. Um, a lot of people have heard, you know, of the story of David and Goliath. It's a pretty popular one. Or maybe you've read parts of 1 Samuel. Maybe you've studied it all and you've done a Bible study. Love that. We're going to dig deep in here and just walk through uh, chapter by chapter through this book and, and go deep. So uh, no matter where you are, no matter how uh, in-depth you have studied before, man, our hope and prayer is that uh, you're going to be really challenged. So that's our hope. Uh, stay, stay with us this semester. Walk with us, and, um, and not only because we want you to leave here with more biblical knowledge, but just a little bit about us as a ministry. Man, our hope is not just you leave here and you're like, oh, I now understand the entire book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel by the end of this year. Man, our goal is not just biblical knowledge. Our goal is that you encounter a living God who speaks through his word, that you see the character of God, and it shapes your life this next year in ways that the Spirit of God takes His Word and it shapes your life and decision-making and draws you into the peace that is found and the freedom that is found when people surrender their lives more and more and more to Christ. So that's our hope. That's what He does. That's what we believe will happen today, chapter 1. 
uh, chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. It's page 225 in my Bible, although I have no idea what page number it is in your Bible. Uh, And we're going to be really through that first, all of chapter 1, and then the first half of chapter 2 is what we're going to cover today, uh, the the first 11 verses of chapter 2. Let me tee up uh, what we're about to walk into. Um, My son, I talk about my boys a lot. I got two boys, Charlie and Miles. Charlie is nine. He's about to be 10. Miles just turned seven. They'll be at the next service. They'll be at the 11 o'clock, the center service, not the spiritual one that you guys showed up to early. Um, Way to go. Um, So they'll be at the 11. But Charlie, if you ask Charlie, and I I think I've shared this before because it's something that we talk a lot about in our family, but I think I've shared this on stage. If you ask him, he's a fourth grader. Hey, Charlie, what's your job in life as a fourth grader? As a nine-year-old, 10-year-old, what is your job in life? He should and will answer. I'm confident he will answer because we've trained him. My job is to grow, right? That is what my eight-year-old, nine-year-old, soon-to-be 10-year-old, that's what he knows. His job is to grow. This last week, school started for him. And first day of school was awesome. It was amazing. He saw his buddies. They played at recess. He got a touchdown. It was great. Second day was a disaster, right? disaster. The world is crumbling. It was a rough day. Um, and largely it was a rough day because um, of uh, he is in a Latin class in fourth grade. Like I didn't know how to get dressed on my own in fourth grade. My son is in a Latin class in fourth grade. I have no idea what's happening in there, but um, he was just you know, second day of school, it's Latin, and he doesn't remember anything, and dad's not going to help him with Latin, and so he's just like, dad, I'm going to fail, this is going to be horrible, and he just does it, he's like, the teacher's saying all this stuff, and we don't remember any of it, and we're, and he's just, he just has gone to that place of just, you know, anxiety, and and this is going to be so hard, and Latin is going to be such a challenge, and so we've taken this idea of, Charlie, what's your job? He's like, my job's to, my job's to grow. Okay, Charlie, one of the, one of the best ways to grow Right? One of the most efficient, effective, one of, the, one of the ways that God has designed this thing to work, the most effective way to grow is when you challenge yourself. And so when you go through hard things, when you have classes, and so now that job of growing has now shifted into, okay, am I challenging myself? Am I doing things? Am I in? So now, hopefully, his perspective can slowly shift as a nine-year-old. This class is so hard. Wait a second. Hard is Okay. Hard is what helps me do my job because if I'm around things that aren't challenging, if I live a life without challenge, if I live a life where I'm not really pushed or stretched or, or muscles really being built intellectually or spiritually or all of those things, well, then I'm not really going to get to grow. And so that is what's happening here because the reality is what we're going to see in chapter one is a ton of challenges. And not just a challenge that this young woman, Hannah, runs into, but man, a deep deep desperation that comes out of this character Hannah in chapter one that is going to to lead her to her face uh, to God begging for help because what we see is unmet expectations and we see discouragement and we see disillusionment Um, as I thought about just prepping this sermon um, this summer as we studied it even as a staff um, man I, I thought and prayed a lot about you guys some of you walked back into this school year after having a really rough summer, right? And we know that, and we've been praying for you, but we know that you had a really rough summer. Some really hard stuff happened, some really challenging stuff happened, some really heavy stuff that you're now walking back into this school year caring and ready to just leave it behind and ready to leave it back home and it can't quite shake it, and we know that. And you're, you're walking out of some really hard stuff. Some of you are walking into this room after having a really hard week, Right, just this week back, and you're thinking, do I belong? Do I even want to be here? Do I, right? 
Some of you, maybe this has been the best week of your life and this was the best summer of your life. Praise God for that. Our hope is that, and legitimately, our prayer is that you guys, even as college students this next year, we are praying that God would protect you, that you would have the most joy-filled, sweet year ever, right? We want that for you, but we also know, and I've been doing college ministry for over 10 years now, we know that there's a lot of you this year, if, it hasn't, if you haven't experienced it yet, are gonna walk right into a buzzsaw of unmet expectations or discouragement or disillusionment or just some, some depression that won't, that you can't shake, right? That you're gonna feel forgotten, that you're gonna feel unknown, that you're gonna feel like what I wanted and what I was looking for and what I was hoping for is so far from the reality of the circumstances I'm living in. Um, that's what we're talking about in chapter one. That's what's happening massively relevant to your life, either what you walked in with or what you will walk into at some point. So man, God, give us ears to hear this and give us the faith to apply it. We're gonna read all of chapter one. I'm gonna slow down and just kind of pick, pick through some stuff to make sure um, we're all tracking together, but I'm gonna walk all the way through. We're gonna look at that tension. We're gonna look at what Hannah did and the results of it, and then we're gonna apply it to our life, and then we're gonna worship, and we're gonna get out of here, hopefully, changed lives. All right, verse one of chapter one of 1 Samuel. This is where it goes. <clears throat> there was a certain man of Ramathium, Zophium, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeraham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, uh, and an Ephrathite who had two wives. The name of one was Hannah. The name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Stop right there. Stop right there on just, just the end of verse, uh, verse two. But Hannah had no children. Switch to the next slide. There it is. Um, that's a huge, huge statement right there. And, and I don't want to blow past the first two verses. We've already seen a ton of context, right? We've seen, uh, we, we've seen this genealogy, which the Old Testament always used to validate someone, right? You validated somebody's identity and their past and who they were. And so we kind of see this genealogy where they came from. And then he's got these two wives and, and then one of them has kids and then Hannah does not, right? She is barren. She cannot, she has no children and not being able to have children right, is, is a, a sad thing for any of us in any, any culture. But in this culture, it was devastating. For women, this culture, God elevates women, and you'll see that throughout the book of 1 Samuel. But in this culture, right, this broken culture that we're, we're studying about back in the Old Testament, man, they did not value women, right? They were really, wives were good for, can you produce sons for me? And here is a wife that not only can't produce sons, can't produce kids at all. And so this was just her entire identity as a wife, as a woman, was tied up in this thing that she doesn't have control over, and it is this huge unmet expectation that's a burden. She couldn't do it. Look at verse three. Let's keep going. Now this man, talking about the husband, now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Though the Lord had closed her womb, notice, though the Lord had closed her womb, and her rival, talking about the other, the other lady who's got all the kids, 
And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? Okay, let's stop for a second, see what's happening here, right? They go up to worship and sacrifice. And in that day, right, you didn't just walk in and listen to incredible musicians lead us in proclaiming truth, right? Worship and, and that entering into God's presence was really through this Old Testament system of sacrifice, sacrificing. So they would have these sacrificial animals that they'd sacrifice. It'll tie in later uh, with a bull they get sacrificed. But that's how you would approach God, this holy and perfect God who loves his people, and he's created this system in the Old Testament to say, hey, to approach me, there needs to be a substitute for your unholiness that, that later uh, we're going to see as Christ. So, so they're sacrificing, and, and this woman would get teased. Her husband is like, hey, I still love you, right? That's actually pretty, pretty noble uh, at the time, but Hannah is still wrecked. Look at verse 9. We're going to go 9 all the way through, through 20 here. Big chunk. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. That's a weird reference, but that's a reference to the, to the Nazarite vow, meaning the Nazarite vow was something to say, hey, if you're a Nazarite, then that means you're gonna go into the service of the Lord. You're gonna like be a priest. You're gonna work in the temple and they grew their hair out long. So that's what she's saying. If you give me a son, I'll give him back to you and he can serve your temple and serve, serve you, Lord. And then she, and as she continued praying before the Lord, I love this, Eli observed her mouth. So the priest sees this lady crying and praying. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all, for all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And, he, and she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. That means they got it on. Um, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. This is huge. Right, this is in Samuel chapter one, right? We see this amazing first miracle of God taking someone discouraged, depressed, alone, right? Defeated, deflated, unmet expectations and taking her and, and meeting her in that place as she goes to God. And then doing this miracle, right? Closing her womb and then in his timing, blessing her with a son that she names Samuel. That's huge. I mean, the, 
literally the next, the book, this whole entire book is named after this guy. So it's this really, really significant moment, really in the, in the history of Israel, who Samuel becomes and who he ends up uh, anointing as king in the way that he leads. And then Saint Hannah keeps her promise. Look down to verse 24, and we'll finish out the chapter. Um, and then I want to apply it to say, okay, what, what does this mean for us? Hannah keeps her promise. In verse 24, it says, and when she had weaned him, so she has the baby, she weans him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an FF of flour and skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli and said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. This interaction is now Hannah keeping her into the bargain. Actually, interestingly enough, uh, here in 1 Samuel chapter 1 is actually the only time a woman in the Old Testament uh, makes a vow and, and keeps it, right? God being able to, to put a spotlight on this godly woman and say, this godly woman, um, she, she asked for it, she made a vow with me, and then she's keeping her into the bargain, too, in this beautiful thing. Uh, Samuel is essentially going to be adopted by Eli in the temple. He's going to be raised there. He's going to be raised at the temple. He's going to become one of the most important prophets, uh, instrumental figures in this new era that Israel is walking into. And it's this miracle situation, right? It's this miracle situation, completely defeated woman, um, getting a baby. I, I want to look at Hannah, um, because here we have this woman who is so destitute. I mean, they literally just thought she is out of her mind intoxicated because of how vexed it says and anxious she was and just her weeping and her crying and her just inaudible groans to say, Lord, I am in pain. That's who Hannah was. And God meets her in that place. In her lowest of lows, in the pit, God meets her in that place. The space between what she desired for her life and the reality of her circumstances, that chasm was huge, and God said, I will bridge that chasm for us, for, for you. Disappointment is a reality in our life, right? Disappointment is going to be a reality. It has been a reality, and it will be a reality in your life. But as believers, if you are a believer, if you say, man, I want to do this God's way, then how you navigate, how you navigate disappointment and discouragement and depression and loneliness and all of those things is going to shape the trajectory of your life and your character. Where do you go? Where do you go when you're discouraged? Where do you go when the bottom falls out? Where do you go when you hit unmet expectations that you thought this is how it was supposed to be? And it didn't happen. A breakup, a rejection of any kind, another year of watching your friend or friends get the thing that you've been praying for, an injury that sidelines you, a sickness that doesn't seem to lift, a, a weight that you didn't choose to carry, but here it is, and, and you're, you feel stuck carrying it. Where do we go with that? Where do we go when we feel weighed down and buried? Um, oftentimes, real transparent myself, I, I oftentimes do one of three things that are all pretty unhealthy ways of dealing with that. I try to self-solve it, 
right? My circumstances don't match what I want, what I expected, what I hoped for. I'm upset. You know what? I'm just going to grip my teeth and I'm going to manipulate and control my circumstances until I can get it the way I want. And so, and so we sometimes try to self-solve and figure out, you know what? This is what we wanted and God is not really a part of that. I'm going to figure this out myself. You know, we want that relationship. It doesn't matter at all costs. We are not getting out of college without a ring, right? Whatever, whoever. Lots of good people working, you know, and on the streets that you could just grab, right? You'll do, right? And so there's all, we'll just manipulate a situation to say whatever it takes to do this and, and we'll compromise. Um, or maybe we don't try to, we don't try to self-solve. We try to self-help. I mean, you're, the world we live in, the Bible of the world, right? That, that lies to us, right? The world would say self-help. When you hit unmet expectations, when you get discouraged, they just, oh no, you just need to be positive. You just need to have positive energy, right? That's not a thing. Don't, don't actually think about that. Just look away and shove that and just be positive about that, right? Within yourself, bring up positivity. And you're like, I am stuck. I am, I am stuck in discouragement or depression or sin and the world says well just oh you just need to be positive and most self-help books from a psychological standpoint will say yeah you don't need an outside source it's an inside source you can be your own god and you can just heal yourself with the right positive thinking which leads to exhaustion or i try to self-soothe right we self-soothe we cope whatever that looks like when we're sad when we're discouraged we whether it's socially unacceptable ways that we cope, and there's a laundry list of those that we can just stop feeling the pain that we feel, and so we can run to all kinds of coping mechanisms, or all of the very socially acceptable ways of coping, like staying crazy busy, saying yes to everything, so I don't actually have to feel how, how lonely I really am. Right, there's all these ways that we self-soothe, self-help, self-solve. Where does Hannah take in this chapter where does she take all those unmet expectations all that discouragement she takes it straight to God that's where she goes she takes it straight to God in her defeat in her just persecution and disappointment she goes to God with her sadness she meets him there she doesn't say oh I gotta I gotta put on a brave face and I gotta approach God no she says I am broken and in that brokenness she is unapologetically I need you right she doesn't solve it herself in Genesis chapter 16, we see a really similar story. Genesis chapter 16, Abraham has a wife named Sarah, and she can't bear children either. And Sarah's idea is, I know, I'll just solve it myself because my husband needs to have, you know, sons to carry on his name and to create this great nation that God promised would come through Abraham's line. And so, Abraham, you're going to sleep with your maidservant, and I'm going to allow that because that's going to be a self-solving. And we see this massive disaster happen from that. But Hannah doesn't self-solve. She doesn't take it into her own. She takes it to God. She doesn't, um, she doesn't self-help. She doesn't try to minimize the pain. I mean, it would have been really easy. Verse 8, her husband's like, don't be sad. I love you, right? Isn't my love enough for you? You don't have kids, but I, I am your husband, and I love you. And she doesn't say, you know what? It's not that bad. She owns her pain. She owns the fact that this hurts. This stinks. And she also doesn't self-soothe, right? They, they think she's getting drunk. That's what Eli thought was happening. That's not where she goes. Hannah, in her greatest moments of disappointment, right, she goes to God and he gives her this unbelievable peace before her circumstances change. Verse 18, and she was no longer sad. That was before she ever had kids, right, she went to the Lord 
She was broken in front of him, and he gave her this peace that wasn't connected to her circumstances yet. She was no longer sad. She had the peace of God. For us today, remember, if you walk out of here with any big idea of what this chapter is really about and for us to remember is this, your greatest disappointments are your greatest opportunities for growth in your faith. The greatest disappointments and train wrecks and hard things that you have gone through and will go through that I don't think your father wants you to go through, but those things, either because there's sin in the world or because of consequences of other people or consequences of mistakes we've made, those, those disappointments are your greatest opportunity to grow your faith. And if you acknowledge that your job in life is to grow, God, would you grow me? Would you grow me in this window of your life to be the man or the woman that you have called me to be? God, would you make me have roots that, that Psalm 1 talks about are into the living waters to where no matter what seasons come, good and bad, I'm still gonna bear fruit. I'm still gonna have joy and life and peace because I've, I've grown with roots and depths. That is what we want for you. That's what I want for my soul. That's what I want for my boys. That's what we pray for you guys in this ministry constantly for. God, give them depth. Give them depth. And in order to grow, a part of that is gonna be a perspective shift where you start to see your greatest disappointments and discouragements and some of the heavy, heavy weight and burdens that you guys are carrying right now as ways that God is actually gonna use to be huge character-shaping blessings in your life. And that is a perspective shift that's easy to say. It's hard to believe when we're sitting in that pain. Nobody wants hard stuff. Nobody enjoys being rejected or broken, but everybody needs to grow, and the biggest catalyst for that growth, especially the spiritual, the eternal kind, is when we face trials and defeats and disappointments and we bring it to God. Look at Hannah's response. Look at what happened. I want, you, I want to read just over you chapter two, and we'll put it up on the screen too, read along. This is her song in chapter two, the first 10 verses. It is her reply, it is her worship, because Hannah is a woman who has gone, gotten so close to the heart of God that she can, she can proclaim these truths. Listen to this. Chapter two, verses one through 10. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken and the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hungry. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. 
He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. There's a ton in these 10 verses. There's actually a lot of foreshadowing of the entire book of 1 Samuel in that that we'll, we'll touch on in different ways. Um, but what I want you to see big picture is that, that what happened here was, was where Hannah took her suffering, it produced this internal testimony of God's character, right? This is, this is a testimony of God, I know your character because she was so close to him in her brokenness. I mean, look at the things. I'm going to just list off a few of them, right, that we see of her proclaiming God's character in these 10 verses. She sees a God who saves in verse 1. She sees a God who's holy in verse 2, right? A God who is trustworthy like a rock in verse 3. All these characteristics of God that she's proclaiming that she knows, not because she read it in the book and was like, yeah, these are the right answers for God, but because she experienced these things. A God who knows all, verse 3. A God who gives strength to the feeble, verse 4. A God who provides for those needing, verse 5. A God who's in control, verse 6. A God who restores, verse 8. A God who guards the feet of his faithful ones, verse 9. If we had an hour, we could spend it on these 10 verses and just look at the character of God. Right? These are just nine quick attributes just to show you God's character is revealed when we lean into him and his character is good and his character is worthy and his character is comforting and his character is salvific and it's peace-giving and it's justifying. On and on and on. She knows these things because in her suffering she drew near to a real and a holy and a restorative God. This is who God is. 3,000 years ago, this is who he was, and this is who he is today. This is who our God is. This is the God who you have an opportunity to draw more and more and more near to in your life. For you, for this day, for this year, for this upcoming school year, you have a choice to say, man, I want to be a man, I want to be a woman who draws near to this God, even in the hard things, especially in the hard things, and see his character like this, experience his character like this. The lowest moments, those are opportunities which fuel our deepest growth. Let me give you two applications, right? Real quick applications to just, as you walk out of here, say, okay, I want that, I want that, but what do I really do? How do I do that? How do I hold on to that? When I'm in the pit, when things are not going good, when I find myself in a really dark place in college, in young adult life, whenever it is, 20 years from now in your marriage and you just feel like there is a dark place here, how do I get out of here? Here's two things I want you to remember, okay? One, I want you to look forward to a future perspective with hope. Okay, so often we stay in a pit because we're stuck here in this pit. We're stuck with only our circumstances and we lose sight of the perspective that God tells us constantly, have perspective, right? Have a broader perspective, have a bigger picture of what I'm doing and who I am and what I'm going to do. And there is this this hope that we can hold on to 
Um, uh, Romans 8.18. I mean, Hannah knew that. Hannah held on to that. Hannah looked forward to a God that she, she hoped for, but also the Apostle Paul does that, right? In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is persecuted more than just about anybody, right? And, and he says this in Romans 8.18. He says in Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time, which are a ton for him, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. My current circumstances, the current pit that I am, no matter how deep and dark and massively discouraging and hurtful it is, don't take lightly how deep that pit might be for you right now. I don't don't mean to be insensitive to say it's a, a shallow pit, it's no big deal and shake it off. No, no, those are deep pits. But what God has for you is that much greater if you are in Christ. If you are his, then the depth of that, he, Paul says, I don't even compare them, right? It's in, incomparable to the greatness and the glory that is yet to come. But we, we lose sight of that, right? We don't, we don't think about that. We stay in our pit and we think, okay, I should, I should have this future hope and I should have my perspective broadened. But why don't we? Real practically, why don't we? Because we are conformed by this world. Right? Because, because my mind is conformed by this world. Because I think for a second, oh, I got a Bible verse, and I'll put it on a post-it note, and I'll put it in my mirror, and that'll really help me get out of this pit. And I look at it while I'm brushing my teeth, and I think, okay, that's good. And that's good. And then I walk away from it, and I get back on Instagram, and I get back around toxic friends, and I get back around bad patterns, and I get back around all of those things that keep me in that pit, and I, and I have my mind shaped and conformed by the world. And Paul, in that same book, Romans in Romans 12, 2, he says, no longer be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so real practically, the way that I have an eternal perspective, a bigger hope if I'm in Christ, if I'm in Christ, the way I hold fast to that is I have got to daily fight. I have got to daily pray, God, would you renew my mind? These old thoughts, these patterns, these, these, these things that I hear, in, in my life, you've had people speaking awful stuff in your life, and that's just what plays when you make a mistake or when you, you just hear those things that, God, would you, in your power, would you, I'm desperate, I'm coming to you in prayer, renew my mind. And so you go to prayer and you go to God's word. Prayer and God's word. God, meet me here. Shape my mind. Remind me what is true. Remind me of your perspective. Remind me of your character. And secondly, you do this. You look forward and you look to the future and you say, God, when I am in this pit, I know that there is a bigger plan you have. Whether I get to see it on this side of eternity or not, if I am in Christ, I have a hope that I can hold on to. But the other thing it's not just the future perspective. It's I look immediately to a God who comforts, right? E- even though I am looking to a future perspective, there is an immediate need now that I'm sitting in. And we have a God who meets us in that pit and comforts us. While we wait, our God is still available. While you are in the lowest of lows, you still have a God who's available, right? Our God came. He, he empathizes with your suffering, right? He's not removed, Right? Our God is not this, this, this God in heaven who's a judge with his arms folded, removed from our suffering. Let me read Philippians 2 over you. Philippians 2 gives us this beautiful picture, just a couple of verses. It says this, 
Have this mind among yourself, this mind. God, would you give me a renewed mind and would it, would it be this? It's yours in Christ Jesus, who though, Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here's what that means. That means you have a God who has entered out of eternity into our brokenness, into the person and work of Jesus Christ. We have a God who's approachable. We have a God who understands suffering because he suffered for you. We have a God who we believe hates when you're stuck in a pit. So much so that he said, I'm gonna enter in I'm gonna enter into this broken world, I'm gonna take on humanity, and I'm going to ultimately take the suffering of this world so that long-term there is a hope. That is what our God did, and that is the God that we go to and pray, pray to. And so you pray and you go to God's word to shape your mind to have the right perspective of the future, but you also pray and you go to, you go to God's people who, who help represent that. Right? As you pray, you are in God's word, but you also surround yourself with God's people who get to be shadows. The reason we do family nights is not just because we like enjoy, you guys are great, right? But not just for social gatherings. You're cool, but you're not that cool, right? We do it because there's something unbelievable that happens when people who are having good weeks and bad weeks come together and they're filled with the Holy Spirit or at least some of them are and maybe some of them aren't and we all get together and there's unity there and we get to be the people of God and we get to go to God together and you get to walk with other people who are hurting or who have been hurt and they've seen healing and they can point you to the character of God. Don't isolate. Don't isolate. And listen to me. Don't give up. You're going to get hard stuff in college. You're gonna hit some really hard stuff. Don't give up, okay? You're gonna find yourself in a pit one day and you're gonna think, there's no out of this. I cannot climb out of this. I pray, I pray you don't remember, you don't remember my sermon or this room, but I pray that you remember that today the Holy Spirit plants a seed in you that says, I am not gonna leave you I am in the pit with you and you won't give up in that pit. One day at a time, go to him in your desperation, go to God's word, go to God's people and watch him grow you. That is for the people of God. And if you don't have a relationship with God, then it is on the table for you today. I'm gonna close this in prayer and the band's gonna come back up and they're gonna lead us in worship. And as we worship, you can stand if you want to, or if you want to stay seated, you can stay seated. I just want you to do business with God. But we're going to sing about the one thing, right? Not Jesus as one solution of many, not as a supplement in your life spiritually, but as the one thing that he wants to be. Would you pray with me? Father, we love you. And we're so grateful for the gospel, Lord. We're grateful that your son's death, burial, and resurrection, what the gospel is, that you sent your perfect son to come and die the death that we deserved and take the pit, the eternal pit that we deserve, that I deserve, and you took it in your righteousness, in your grace, 
so that those who say, I want that Savior, not I want Jesus as one of many solutions or I'll try a little bit of Jesus when I'm really discouraged or when I'm really stressed, but God, will we be people like Hannah who our instinct is to go to you because we are yours. Where else would we go? What other solution do we have? God, would you encourage us? Would you draw us near? For my friend that's in this room this morning and has not yet experienced fully the grace of God that comes from a life surrendered to Christ, would you move in their heart? Would you draw them to yourself in the name of Jesus that they might say, God, I want you more than I want the world. That you are king. That you are Lord. And would you give us the faith to submit our lives to you and receive the grace and the freedom that the Holy Spirit provides in us. God, for the rest of us who are in Christ, Lord, at times we're just so weak and we get so discouraged and we have so many unhealthy patterns that we go to 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 cope or to distract us or to try to self-solve. Lord, would you teach us how in the hardest moments that could be the sweetest moments of grace if we would just run to you. Grow us, Lord, as the one thing, as the one Savior, as the one hope we have grow us to be more like you for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.